Within 10 years, the way we access all our information, historical information, anything we see on Wikipedia, that's all going to be through a 3D interface. The 2D interface as we know it at that point, I mean, we're going to have smart glasses. We may, we may look at some of these things still through little 3D portholes, but all the information at its base will be 3D represented in 3D. Of course, we'll still be looking at text in a 2D rectangle somewhere in that representation. But the predominant UI paradigm is going to be 3D. I'm sure a lot of people actually agree with me on that, but I would bet more people don't necessarily see that vision. But I see that as inevitable. Making a podcast sustainable is hard. That's why I'm pumped to tell you guys about today's show sponsor, Podcorn, a marketplace, literally, for podcast advertising, a place that makes it transparent and easy. We're using Podcorn to get sponsors for the disruptors. And you know what? We can do it without having expensive middlemen charging high fees, which makes it easier for me and podcasters everywhere to make their production sustainable, keep reaching awesome listeners like you guys, and support products and businesses that we like, love, and enjoy. If you run a podcast or you're interested in advertising on podcasts, hint, hint, it's probably one of the highest performing mediums out there, go to podcorn.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-R-N.com. Check them out if you're running a podcast or if you just want to run more successful, profitable advertising. And if you're interested in the disruptors, you run a business that you think would be a great fit for us and our audience, something we could get behind, sponsors at disruptors.fm. Shoot us an email. We look forward to hearing from you and maybe working together. Today's episode is brought to you guys by my 15-step guide to scalable, Series A-worthy growth and marketing. If you're building a startup aiming for a billion-dollar outcome or a solopreneur looking for a sustainable six, seven, or eight-figure business, get my free guide, which you can grab at mattward.io slash free, which walks you through the best, most proven tactics to acquire and retain customers, applicable for freelancers up to Fortune 500. If you want to grab that, plus bonus hacks and tips to build your business and more, visit mattward.io slash free. And if you need help or ever want to grow your business faster, I coach a handful of hardcore winners building businesses I believe in. You can reach out right on the site, mattward.io for more. And now let's get on with the episode. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds, share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Are you ready, player one? Because today we've got one of the forefathers of VR and AR on the program, Tony Parisi. He's a virtual reality pioneer, serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. He co-created several of the 3D graphic standards used today, and he's the head of AR and VR ad innovation at Unity Technologies, a company that's raised over $1.3 billion to dominate this space. Today he's a leading spokesman for the industry and frequently a speaker at conferences. In today's episode, we'll discuss where we're at when it comes to AR and VR adoption and where we're headed on that cycle, how COVID-19 is pushing us towards a more immersive future, why Tony thinks AR and VR will ultimately diverge, why Tony thinks Facebook and Oculus are in a great position to dominate the VR market, what the future of the entertainment industry looks like and why, and why, in Tony's opinion, we've reached a tipping point when it comes to VR and consumer adoption. This one's a fun one. We get into it in the middle of an epidemic. God, it would be great if we had some great VR goggles to do this interview, but right now we don't. So instead, I give you Tony Parisi. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
here we are, the world is a mess, and yet things are moving forward. What are you excited about these days before we jump into jump into the background? Well, I'm so excited these last couple of weeks. I mean, I'm a techie. We've been working remote forever in a lot of ways, but certainly not at this level, at this scale. And to see be, people be able to connect, and there's technologies like Zoom and Skype, and, the, and everyone's using them now nonstop. It's not without its challenges, but it's kind of amazing how, at least in our world of tech and media, we've been able to kind of adjust very quickly and make the best of it and you know learn how to cope with a whole new set of problems, of course. Like how many Zoom and Skype calls can you do in a single day? Um, it it's, turns out it's fewer than you would think. Seems easy, but when you do it day after day, amazing. So I'm kind of excited by how you can collaborate over video and have it be so effective these days. How many technologies, including things that we'll probably get into today about uh, virtual and augmented reality, can assist with remote collaboration. Of course, it's all under uh, not fun circumstances right now, but uh, with with any luck, we'll do our best to get through this situation. And, and some of the things we had to do right about now to cope will become things we learn how to do in our daily lives and integrate a little more and be able to connect even better worldwide. So I look at that as a bit of a silver lining around what's happening at the moment. Oh, yeah. And air pollution's going down. And if we can cut back on flights and travel a bit, then there's a lot of there's a lot of big positives. But I want to ask you a hard question. I want you to answer it honestly. Two years ago, if I'd asked you, are we going to be having this conversation today in VR? What would you have answered? No. No. Why is that? To be able to collaborate in VR effectively, uh, to do ongoing day-to-day communication in a reliable way is still challenging. I've been working in this field for quite a while, over 20 years in 3D visualization in general, originally somewhat inspired by thinking about remote collaboration, multiplayer virtual worlds, getting together, doing art, doing meetings. And then I actually had a startup around 10 years ago that built a world-based system, not, not in VR, but just on your desktop, flat screen rendered, but in 3D, where we had avatars, we had a million people signed up. Uh, this was before the 2008 recession hit and sort of gutted a bunch of startups, but we, we made a lot of progress, got real far with that. And along the way, we learned a lot of uh, learned about a lot of hard problems in infrastructure and in design and in human factors and how to communicate effectively. And again, this is just on flat screens with 3D representations. If you move that forward into VR, we're still at the place where we're learning how to effectively use VR from a user interface standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a design standpoint, production. Uh, so we're still learning this medium to be able to do that effectively in kind of a an open world communication setup where this is. We're not playing a game. We're not mutually trying to solve a, a, a problem or achieve a quest together, but more in an open-ended communication way. It's just still pretty hard. There are several systems out there that are trying to do this now. VR Chat, um, Altspace VR. I'm just going to name a few. High Fidelity. They're, they're all out there. They're all working. But to do it at scale effectively in VR headsets is still represents a host of challenges. Happy to kind of drill into any specifics that you want. Uh, so still kind of baby steps, amazingly, even though the bits and pieces that add up to make VR technology, even multiplayer VR, are maturing to do what we're trying to do. I mean, it's hard enough. It's been hard enough to get it set up in Skype and Zoom and WebEx and all these other technologies reliably. We're pushing the limits now as you and I are speaking. Um, but to do this with VR too uh, adds an extra layer of challenge. And we're praying to God that Skype doesn't update because that'll break everything. Just always. <laughs> so hopefully not are, in the middle of this conversation, Matt. I know, right? You guys have raised 1.3 billion to try to basically be the rails behind a lot of this connected tech future. Walk me through what Unity's doing and what your role is. So if you go far enough back, Unity's been around about 15 years. 
The original mission hasn't changed too much. Originally, it was about democratizing game development. If you go back to the early knots, the situation was people making video games. They tended to be big studios who had enough resources to create the engine tech, to do all the 3D rendering, to do all the multiplayer support if it's a multiplayer game. To be able to do this in a way that doesn't require building a whole new engine from scratch, that was Unity's mission. Let's give people the tools to make games. And that helped independent gaming take off like wildfire. Originally for web with a web plugin back in the day, on PCs and then on consoles. And then when mobile started taking off, coming on 10 years ago, Unity invested heavily in supporting the mobile platforms. And that's where our business really took off. And that's pretty much the direction that Unity took through the early part of the 2010s. Then along comes VR, augmented reality, mixed reality in this latest wave with with Oculus and the HoloLens and all these devices. And Unity leaned in hard to support those headsets and those other technologies around VR and AR. And what we discovered was, and this was before my time, I showed up about four years ago, what the company discovered was people in every industry were starting to use our technology because what they wanted to do was VR. They didn't necessarily want to make games. They wanted to do VR or AR for training, for architectural visualization, to change the design process for how you design cars and other manufactured equipment, uh, to do different kinds of marketing content. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, But what we found was we were mostly a business that was oriented toward gaming when you looked at the business side. The technology overlaps greatly when when it comes to just doing VR in 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 a kind of broad way. And so what we discovered is we needed to learn more about these new industries that wanted to use our technology. And that's around when I came on board at the end of 2016 to look at the auto industry, to look at the film industry, to look at architecture and building, and to see what those industries wanted out of our technology so we could better support them. So we have spun up whole business practices around those now. If if you look at this from a kind of thematic point of view or just a really global overarching point of view, this is about computing going spatial. Uh, This is about the interface becoming 3D so that it is more meaningful, more friendly, uh, maybe helps us remember things better for training, gives us a more intuitive way to access information and communicate. And across all those industries, I mentioned it more, we're seeing the technology take hold. and, And Unity is in this position where we are powering a huge percentage of that from the content creation side. Give me a bold five or 10 year VR prediction. Something you believe most people around you wouldn't. Most people around me wouldn't? Sorry, can you ask that again? I didn't. Yeah, that most people around you, you can you can exclude the, exclude the coworkers. Something most people wouldn't believe. I don't know if most people wouldn't believe this, but within 10 years, the way we access all our information, historical information, anything we see on Wikipedia, that's all gonna be through a 3D interface. The 2D interfaces, we know it at that point. I mean, we're going to have smart glasses. We may we may look at some of these things still through little 3D portholes, but all the information at its base will be 3D represented in 3D. Of course, we'll still be looking at text in a 2D rectangle somewhere in that representation. But the predominant UI paradigm is going to be 3D. I'm sure a lot of people actually agree with me on that, but I would bet more people don't necessarily see that vision. But I see that as inevitable. Do you see that as a stepwise change where companies like Apple get overthrown? Or do you see that as something they are able to roll in and crush competitors with? I see all of it happening. I see that large companies certainly aren't going to go away. I see big innovators uh, like any of the large platform and hardware vendors continuing to thrive in this world. I also see room for all kinds of upstarts and innovators because innovation tends to happen uh, typically from newer upstarts who have a little more um, ability to focus and a little more drive. But that usually then has some interplay with larger industry players. So 
I, I see this just growing. I, I think there will be uh, new fortunes made, new businesses established as there are with any new wave of technology. Do AR and VR slowly begin to merge or do they begin to diverge? This is a wonderful question. I have bounced around on, on this concept a lot myself over the last three or four years. I was in that camp for a while where I thought AR and VR were going to converge. And I think part of, as in there would be one unicorn of a device, one magical device that could do everything. I'd have some glasses or, or some contacts or eventually some implanty kind of thing, you know, if you look way down the line, that would be able to augment the physical world around me for AR and mixed reality type of use. And with some sort of theoretical slider, some sort of dial I could twist, I could dial out the real world and just be in this opaque, you know, fully immersed setting. Now that may be true, but I've come around to think that's maybe not the way it's going to go. It, it's more likely that we'll have divergence of the hardware devices so that there are devices you use to completely check out, go into VR, do your Oculus Quest kind of stuff, play your games, go into a completely synthetic world or visit some world that's been captured really faithfully, but you just don't care. You don't want the outside bugging you, and you don't need to move around in any way where you're bumping an object. So you're just in a safe space. And then there's all these other things, which are going to be even bigger and huger, because it's as you're moving around in the, the real world, it's going to be augmented with magical, amazing information. I think those do diverge in, in different form factors. Uh, I, I guess one of the reasons I had been conflating them in my own head for so long is that I'm a software person. I work at a place that is a software uh, platform. It is an engine for creating this content where, by and large, it's the same content. The UI is different, uh, but I'm talking the 3D. The 3D part is similar. You're creating real-time 3D graphics. You're creating synthetic information using real-time hardware pipelines. And that is common between AR and VR. Then but why is it the use diverge? cases. The use cases diverge. The human factors diverge. Again, if I'm if I'm learning how to repair an elevator, it may it probably makes more sense to have a mixed reality headset where I see the elevator and it's augmented with information. If I want to go in and do a firefighting in a theoretical scenario, I'm a, you know, let's say a, a firefighter, and I go into a theoretical scenario in a burning building, that building may not exist in the real world. It'd be very expensive to send me there to do the training, simulate all that. Perfect example of some place where you want to be completely cut off because because you want to be in a complete simulation of what that situation would look like and have as many of those senses and sensory inputs like the real thing. How do we prevent, let's say we do get to decent, no, better question. What sci-fi movie, book, etc. do you see as being most realistic when it comes to both AR and VR? I, I watch a lot of sci-fi, so I'm just going to give a recent example because I can't possibly catalog everything I've seen over the years that would take me there. I mean, this goes back to Star Wars and Logan's Run and holograms, if you go back far enough to the stuff inspired me when I was little. But I think these days, the thing I saw most recently was watching some episodes of The Expanse, that science fiction TV show. I'm not sure you're familiar with it. Started on Sci-Fi Network. It's over on Amazon now. Uh, pretty great, uh, as this genre goes. And this is set a few hundred years in the future. People have now populated Mars in the asteroid belt, uh, which forms the the backdrop of a political situation in the solar system among the powers on Earth, asteroid belt, and Mars. But it's all with a skin of science fiction, with holograms, with VR. And what I found most interesting out of that relative to you know today and how us thinkers think about how things are going to shake out in form factors and, and whatnot is that when the actors are doing augmented reality, they're doing swipes in midair from a flat little piece of glass they still hold. Like a, imagine a future smartphone that's just a thin sheet of glass, but it's, it's a physical gizmo 
They'll swipe on that and then a hologram will kind of fly up into the air around them. The, what's missing from that scenario I just described is a pair of smart glasses. So what will be interesting is are the smart glasses that everyone's theorizing about now kind of this intermediary step toward holograms just being everywhere in the air? Um, are they a step that never really takes off and we move straight to that? We'll see. Or contact As lenses. A, or contact lenses. And maybe that's what they're all wearing and that's how you see it anyway. And that's just implied. Who knows? But I, I thought that was a very effective way to do it. It makes for great cinema. Uh, it also means your actors don't have to wear smart glasses everywhere, right? Yeah, it simplifies things a lot. Yeah. One, one thing I worry about specifically with VR is the junkie effect of life being more boring than what we can simulate a million fold. I don't know. I, I think in this current coronavirus crisis, we're seeing exactly the limitations of stay at home and plug in culture and from this the if the it doesn't feel real though if it doesn't feel real well let's let's get to that in a second but let me at least finish the thought here um the chit chat i see a lot right now is boy i can't wait to get the heck out of my house can't wait to go for a walk can't wait to go to a restaurant again can't wait to hug my friends hug my family and you know i think we're going to realize for a generation at least how precious this is and so that will probably, if nothing else, slow down a, a big onrush into everybody getting into a simulated VR. The other thing is, I also think it would take a while before we get to the place where all the technology will simulate things so effectively that we would get sucked in and hooked into some kind of matrix. If you listen to the you know, thinkings of, say, and then the talks of Michael Abrash, the chief scientist over at Oculus, you know, to do this right, he thinks about how we can trick all the senses. The visual cortex is where we've been starting with all this VR stuff. But when you get to anything beyond hearing, when it gets to smell and touch and all these other senses, we have a long way to go. So I think that's going to be a while in a practical sense anyway. So it's certainly not something that I, you know, I'm losing sleep over or think is going to be some eventual outcome here. Okay. And then from what I gather, you're more bullish on AR short term. I'm bullish on AR. Well, no. See, I, I got to tell you, I bounce back and forth on this too. I, I'm steeped in AR right now. That is my day job. I run AR ad innovation for Unity. So in addition to Unity having this amazing content creation engine, we help our mobile game publishers make money with an advertising platform. So you play in your game on your phone, you get to the end of a game level, you now see an ad. Mostly these ads are for other games. The publishers are trying to get users into their games. They will pay for that. The developer who hosted the game that you see the ad in makes money. So we make money for our publishers that way. You know, we take a cut of that revenue. That's how our, our ad business works. And we have introduced augmented reality brand advertising into that same stream. So you can be looking through your back facing camera, see displays of products, see entertainment IP dancing around in the room with you, play a mini game where the camera's turned on. It's very exciting stuff. Sort of the stuff you're seeing that, you know, snap lenses have been doing for a while, Facebook, you know, with Instagram filters. So we're, we're in that world as well. So I spend a lot of time there. And so I think about mobile AR a lot. And the reason I'm spending time there is the scale supports our advertising business. These, there's a billion plus addressable devices that can do this. We could you know, talk for a while about the market research reports on this. So the market data from 2019, there was a half a billion in ad spend around branded AR content like this uh, from last year alone. So that's why I spent a lot of time on it now. But I got to tell you, my go-to device at home is my Oculus Quest. Once somebody figured out how to get rid of the wires and have a high fidelity experience in VR, that is the place to be. So don't have to connect it to a fat PC. Don't have to buy it or upgrade your PC. You just buy this standalone device for 400 bucks, and it gives you a fair amount of the production value you can get from a PC system with no wires getting tangled up. Super fun. So I love the Quest. 
Uh, as I understand it, they can't make them fast enough. And, you know, especially right now, we've had a few uh, hiccups in the supply chain in the last few months. Um, they, they alternately go on back order. Then you've got some rapacious folks who are like doling them out on, on eBay and reselling them on Amazon for twice the price. And then, the, you know, inventory will come free and Oculus will sell them for a list again. Um, so we're in a tough time there. But they are an amazing device. There's multiple million selling titles that go between the Quest and the Rift now. So there are game developers and, and content developers in business around this platform. So I could not be more excited about VR. It's taken a, f- a few years longer than I think some hopeful folks had thought. We were very realistic about how this might play out at Unity. And one of the things we thought had to happen was a standalone device. We're there now. The other thing that had to happen was an affordable price point. We're there now. And the third thing that had to happen was enough content. We're there now. So I think we're going to see this grow out the next few years. So I'm equally excited about VR in terms of the possibilities for how it's going to initially change uh, how we're doing entertainment, uh, some enterprise applications that people are doing with training, like I talked about, where you really need the full immersion and not just augmentation. And so I'd have to say I'm equal parts excited about both, though my day focus is mostly AR right now. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty big on health, longevity, and human optimization. That's why I'm pumped to tell you about our special 10% off offer from Onnit, the brainchild of UFC's Joe Rogan and Aubrey Marcus for elite performers. They're running a Willy Wonka-style prize giveaway where everybody gets a golden ticket. Everybody wins. On every order of Alpha Brain, a super nootropic stack that they sent me, I love it with my morning coffee, and it comes with the potential to win an all-expenses-paid grand prize round trip for two to Onnit's hardcore headquarters in Austin, Texas, $1,000 store credit, $500 cash, and more. Plus, again, every bottle of Alpha Brain comes with a special bonus from the Onnit team. Just visit disruptors.fm alpha to save 10% off alpha brain or anything else from their awesome store. Again, disruptors.fm slash on it. If you want hardcore subs to live a high performance life. What should be the business model of VR? I can see a lot of ways where that can go wrong. If I'm either incentivized to keep you there to more or less build people into their world or things around advertising and privacy? So uh, I'm not sure what the models should be. The models that are working right now are around premium content or around enterprise applications. And I've I've touched on both of those. Uh, How VR and advertising are going to play together will be very interesting. One needs to be thoughtful about human factors. How do I show you an ad? How do I, am I taking the entire world over? Or are these billboards that just show up somewhere in the content that I'm looking at? Or is it purely sponsored content? It, when VR reaches the scale where advertisers are going to be interested in it from a, a, what they would think of as an ROI perspective, as in I spend money, I can reach enough people versus where advertisers are experimenting today, which is all about how deep can I engage folks? I don't care how many people I'm reaching. I want to try and tell a story and engage and experiment and learn. When we get to that point about scale, we're going to see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not clear how this is going to play out. It may change the nature of how we're, we advertise. It may create a whole new uh, art form in how we reach people in large-scale virtual worlds. But until we get to those numbers, we're not going to know, and most people aren't even going to be incented to try. So you were saying before that you think the three pillars of VR, we've kind of reached those three in terms of what it takes to start having takeoff. Yeah, for consumer adoption. That's what specifically I was mentioning. We're seeing healthy uptick in the enterprise already. Unity just republished a report covering all of XR, mixed reality, AR, and VR. And we're just seeing healthy uptick in training, industrial applications, and in several areas where 
the wires may not, you know, these form factors aren't connecting to a PC. The wires may not be an impediment. Cost of ownership, there's not as much sensitivity there. If I can make workers more productive, a few grand for a PC rig and a VR headset, not going to be a blip in my budget potentially. Uh, so the, these things are, you know, the factors are different in the enterprise. So I was speaking specifically around consumer VR and what it's going to take for that to take off. On the enterprise side, I think we're going to see healthy and steady growth out the next several years. Interesting, interesting. What about, let's let's flip side things a little bit. I've been the one who's been bringing up some of the dystopian issues of possible futures. What technology or trend are you most worried about today and why? Okay, this is going to sound like a cop-out, Matt, but I, I don't worry about technology trends. I mean, I, I'm one of these people that thinks technology is value neutral and it's all kind of in the hands of the people who wield it. Um, obviously, there are many, many things to worry about and there always have been with digital technology, but I don't, I don't really dwell on those. I, I try to look at you know, where things can make a positive difference. So I'm more excited about training, education, um, transcending geographical barriers, hopefully these costs of the hardware and content creation getting down so there are no barriers to entry on access. And on content creation, which is kind of core to Unity's mission. So I'm, you know, I'm excited about all those things driving the world to be a more magical place. Machine learning assisting all that. So, you know, not the dark side of AI, the positive side of all the AI technologies we use for computer vision, uh, more helpful assistance, voice, making our interfaces better. So those are the things I try to dwell on. I, I leave the dystopian stuff to the science fiction writers. I want a bold prediction from you, something we haven't discussed yet. It can be about anything in the future in a 10 to 20 year time horizon. Damn. Why did I not see that one coming? Maybe you can uh, maybe you can tease some stuff out of me here. I mean, I love being a futurist. <laughs> but, uh, how, why don't you start me off? Like, what kind of things are you thinking about here? Okay. Genetic engineering. Where are we at in 20 years? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. It's like 17 uh, lifetimes of, of synthetic biology right there. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Have we eradicated disease by then? I don't know, dude. We've either eradicated. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. How do you stay That's, on top of you're You're in San Francisco right now. Let's pretend like the world wasn't falling apart and you weren't hiding in your wife's art studio with a creepy deer head behind you. What is it like bouncing into different incredible people every day? And how does that change your perspective? This is... This is one of the amazing parts of my job at Unity. And even in the current situation where I have to do it from my garage, I'm hoping to maintain this with a lot of my extended family of XR and emerging tech enthusiasts and experts around the world. I am really privileged that I've been able to travel, go to a lot of conferences, meet amazing new people who innovate. And they innovate in so many different ways. And, you know, some of them work at Unity. They do advanced cinematics, making cameras smarter, doing different ways that we can broadcast, just like revolutionizing movie making. But these people are also independent content creators, like Yaroslav and the team from Beat Saber and, you know, meeting them when they were just in the garage. And thinking to myself, and I'll, I'll say it, I'll be one of those old guys and the guy who says, yeah, I think that's going to go somewhere. <laughs> it certainly did. I was right about that one. I've been wrong about a lot of them, though. And so, you know, this is something that I hope in this current environment that I'm going to continue. I'm thinking about, you know, trying to do this kind of thing with people, you know, amazing people like you on a daily or at least, you know, semi-weekly basis here where we can get together and talk, like maybe go on Twitter and do an Ask Me Anything, have meetups online, 
Um, those are, I mean, I'm a real community person, and those are the kind of things that you can't plan for. You're always meeting someone new. They're inventing something different. You get so many points of views from educators, producers, researchers. That is the stuff that keeps me going. It kind of, and it's, and it's great that Unity has given me the opportunity to do this and almost a platform for doing this. It And it's not shocking. I mean, it's something that was just kind of didn't expect coming into this job here, but it's because it's so in the DNA to support creators, it's not a big stretch. This has kind of always been the mission. It's like, give people the tools they can to create. The money will follow. This is what we've always done. You know, that's why you can get Unity for free to start. I mean, I'm not doing a pitch for the company here, but I'm just saying like, it's kind of in the DNA. Support independent content creators. It started with gaming and now it's moving into all these other areas. So it's, it's a great place to be to just sort of collide with different mindsets and learn different perspectives. If I flip that around a little bit, I, I probably need to start challenging myself a little bit more to get out of just the, the kind of XR tunnel I'm in, because I, I just think about AR and VR all day. And I wish I could learn more about some other new technologies that, that uh, kind of connect with it, but are more ancillary, whether they're voice, you know, IoT, um, you know, and AI and ML and all these things that are sort of the hot buzzwords or new things we're not thinking about. You know, you mentioned genetic engineering or, you know, other new technologies. I mean, VR and AR are just one piece of a, a whole set of technologies we can definitely use to make the world better and more interesting and fun place. And I'd like to spend more time going forward looking at that stuff for sure. Yeah, voice tech, especially in terms of just interface interaction with AR makes it a heck of a lot easier than having to swipe. Or even as a programmer, I came up as a programmer and I'm looking at this now saying, even if I was just coding day to day, why don't I just tell my computer what to go do when it starts me off? It goes and finds everything on GitHub and it just starts a project for me and I don't have to search for that. And I should just, someone should build that. That's a great product. Someone should just go make it where I talk to the computer and it starts me off and like gives me all the code. And then I write my application. That'd be way cool. And we write you out. 10 years, 10 years from now, what does Hollywood and entertainment look like? Yeah, will it ever be replaced by our genius and vision and innovation? I sure hope not, but or even, you know, or certainly even it could help us do this stuff faster, right? Or even will the incumbents be the ones who are... Will will the will the movie industry merge into the VR movie industry? Will it be something else entirely? You know, who knows what's happening in the movie industry? There's been change. There's been change afoot since digital. And actually, one of the interesting things to me is how quickly the movie industry uh, leaped on VR and looked at it and spent a lot of time experimenting. You know, maybe you know in places. Like a few other industries got over their skis, started, you know, being a little too aggressive in a few places, but really jumped in fast to see what was possible with this new medium because it was so exciting. And the over the skis part being, hey, maybe there wasn't distribution and a full business model figured out yet. But the excitement around being able to tell stories differently, amazing. So, yeah, did these all blend and merge in several years? Maybe. I mean, we're seeing what's happened. I mean, we're how many years into the mobile revolution? You can, depending on how you count it, a decade, let's call it a decade. We're still seeing the ripple effects of how mobile is changing how we deliver entertainment or how we even conceive of it, what the formats are. And with, ex- right? yeah, with exponential technology, the cycles just get shorter and shorter. I mean, what's that going to be like? I don't have a, I, this is not a thing I have a crystal ball on. And I just, I look at reference points like what 4G and mobile video have done to change how we communicate and how we deliver entertainment. What's that going to be like with 5G and XR and any other new, you know, sort of distribution and interaction techniques we may have another decade or say seven years from now it's probably a staggering picture like that we can't quite imagine i've been i've been working a lot as an author lately and there were two really interesting ideas that i've heard thrown around in terms of ways to come up with or improve a story and one of them is just to have tarot cards of randomness 
and draw them and make that be the new normal, the new something. And the other is go through your first seven ideas of what could happen next and then kill all of them and come up with something even crazier than the last. And that seems like the only way that we can try to predict through what feels like a black swan era. I love that. I love the tarot uh, uh, approach and technique. It's reminding me of something else. So as I was telling you before we actually got on to broadcast, I'm also a musician working on some music projects and big fan of Brian Eno, big pioneer in electronic music for your listeners who may not know. And that's just the simplified version of Brian Eno. One of the things he had done was created this set of cards. Do you know about the Oblique Strategies cards? These are amazing. Go Google these, everyone. Uh, Brian Eno's Oblique Strategies. He developed these with his old art professor. He came out of art school before he got into his music career. And it's a set of cards. I'm not sure how many, about 100, I think. Physical printed cards. You buy the deck and you basically randomly flip, randomly flip through them and pick a card whenever you're stuck creatively. And they just have a phrase on them. And the phrase could be really random. Or it could be like, do the th- same thing you've been doing, but times 10. Or it could be like, Throw everything out, throw your babies out, like you were saying. But they're they're more pithy than that. I'm I'm not I'm not doing them justice. And I was very frustrated about six months ago when I wanted to get them because they only come on sale every once in a while. But there was an online site where you can kind of ping the website and just keep refreshing. It'll give you one of the things on the deck. It doesn't have the same feeling as I I whipped the card out of the physical deck. So luckily they just came on sale like a month ago. I got my set. Go online and see if you can find them. But if you're ever stuck in a creative bind, get these oblique strategies cards. So it's quite similar to that tarot idea. You just pop out. It's almost like the tarot of, of artists, really, if you think about it. But I will pull out any of my couple of tarot decks I have at home and uh, try it that way, too. That's a great that is a great pro tip. And that's why innovation hubs are so important. You run into XYZ today, someone completely different tomorrow. Now, that's a thing that's taken a short term hit right now, because innovation hubs are awesome when you can just have that random open workspace and run into somebody. Um, You know, can we do those on Zoom? I've also, you know, or Skype or whatever. I've also had a mind of just turning my Zoom on and just leaving it on the whole time now, like Kardashian style. Like, should we just like be, you know, should should it just be office hours unless you really need to go AFK? Maybe we should all just have our stuff on all the time right now. And then we could, you know, people, if people knew our our Zoom IDs or our Skype IDs, we could just, and they could just jump in, you know. As long as, as long as it shows you someone's in the room. If it's the, if it's the creepy, you don't know if people are there, then that's a a whole nother can of worms, big brother. Yeah, no, I think you need to kind of, you need all of it. You need the AFK so you know the speaker's gone or the host is gone. You need to know if there are participants there, uh, 100%. But I'm just, you know, I'm musing. I'm thinking aloud here This because you mentioned the innovation hub. And that's serendipity. It's those people you run into that you wouldn't otherwise. You can't, you cannot schedule it. You can't plan for it. You could do, you could do so well. There were, there were old systems online that would do that in like a Russian roulette style or a, a roulette style. The problem is people get on and abuse them and terrible things happen. And that's true too. Yeah. Anonymity can lead to, uh, can lead to consequences. If we were going to take a lot of these platforms, don't let you join anonymously, right? You can set it up. You can start webinars on Zoom. So, you know, you got to register, et cetera. Sorry, go ahead. If I was going to ask you about one thing that I haven't so far, 
that has nothing to do with your daily work, what should I ask you about and why? What keeps me going every day. And? So what keeps me going every day, I, I'm on a personal mission to try and make the world, this is going to sound, oh my God. You're starting, you're starting so, pithy. Let's, let's get this. It's going to sound so pretentious, but I actually, my mission statement when I look in the board is to make the world a more beautiful place every day. That sounds so hippy dippy when you just say it that way. But if you unpack it, it's either, you know, bringing more like actual visual beauty to the world through the work that I support or, you know, art that I'm involved in because I work on my own art projects. Or during this period where we're all sheltering, we're still getting out. We're trying to walk in parks. We're trying to keep our six foot distance. I'm trying to smile at everyone right now. It seems like a really simple thing. You know, I'm in Northern California. Maybe that's all hokey and hackneyed, but I, I think we all need to, to just try to, you know, put more positive vibes out in the world right now. And so that, even prior to the COVID crisis we're in now, that has been kind of keeping me rolling through the thick and thin times the last several years. Let's make the world a more beautiful place. And unfortunately, my curse is that of the dystopian to bring fear and misfortune and try to help us avoid the the issues that I see us potentially having. Because I feel like I feel like sci-fi, I feel like a lot of those thought processes create the guardrails or the bumper rails, so to speak, to avoid them happening. Well, I, and amen to that. And may I think, you know, let's keep having a productive, dynamic tension and a dialogue between these two things. I'm all for it. Uh, you know, someone has to do that. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Matt. Um, and I think we need to keep doing that. Some Someone needs to be mindful of the dark alleys we could go down. So I firmly support that and approve. And I'm, I'm happy to keep kind of doing the banter around that and back and forth because I think out of that comes some really great uh, creativity and just maybe a few roadmaps for action so that we can all get kind of move forward together. Absolutely. And if you guys want a great story for your social distancing, I got a post-plague genetic distortion where humanity goes all different directions. MattWardWrites.com. Check it out. I would love for you guys to read it and get some feedback. Now, I can't wait to read we've that. We've been going on this for a while, and I want to be respectful of your time. And now I have one last question to start to wrap things up to be respectful of your time before you tell people where to find you. And that's, if you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action, it can be anything, what would it be and why? Be excellent to each other. There's a lot we can do together right now. We're learning a whole new set of tools for coping and communicating. Um, let's use those to create, make the world a better place. I like it. It's the golden rule, but without the fluffiness of religion. Just be good to other people. Sure. I like it. Where can people find you? www.unity3d.com is our corporate website. I'm on Twitter, at sign Aura Deluxe, one word, A-U-R-A, Deluxe. That's how you find me. What is the reasoning behind that name? There's got to be something. That was my Burning Man uh, DJ name for several years. Oh, a Burning Man DJ, eh? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And that is how we got into. That's how we got into virtual reality. That um, there was a lot of inspiration from that movement, from what I can tell. One hundred percent. Awesome. For me as well, guys. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. If you have, say hey to Tony. Stay separate from one another and uh survive let's just let's just get through this shit and not restart the process tony thanks for coming on oh matt thanks for having me it was a real pleasure talk soon thanks for tuning in guys cheers
be the change you want to see in the world. That's something I strive towards and fail towards every single day. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you think the world could benefit from conversations like this, the greatest compliment you can give us is referring to the disruptors to a friend or talking about us on social media. Please take 30 seconds to do so. It would mean the world to us. And if we're lucky, help us build towards a better world. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for helping us spread the message and have a great day. If you want more of the Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.